So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to the book of James. And this evening we're going to cover verses 19 to 27. So let's go ahead and... You know what? I'm going to go ahead and read that whole passage and then we'll pray and then we'll get into the study. So it says this, starting in verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world." And Lord, I thank you for your word. It's just good to, to read through it together, Lord, and to study it and to see what you have to say to us. Lord, I pray, um, Lord, for each and every one of us in this room, Lord, that we would, as the encouragement is here, to be doers of the word, Lord, that we wouldn't just be hearers deceiving ourselves, Lord, but that we would go out and do it. So may you Bless this time that we have together to study it. Uh, may you fill me with your spirit, Lord, as I'm speaking, and uh, just bless our time together, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Joel and I, who's the middle school pastor, we had the opportunity to teach through the book of James together um, with the youth. On Sunday mornings, the youth group is combined because we've got just that one big space that's eventually going to be um, uh, turned into actually three rooms, but, you know, for the time being, Joel and I are kind of tag-teaming it, and we taught through the book of James. James is an amazing epistle. If you've not read through it, I would encourage you, take the half hour tonight before bed and just read through it in one sitting. You'll find immediately that James was a guy who didn't mince words, right? Uh, he just, he laid it out there. He, he, you never had to question what James was thinking. And James is the author, obviously, um, and he is the half-brother of Jesus, and he's writing this letter, um, epistle, letter, those words can be used synonymously, right? He's writing this letter there in verse 1 of chapter 1, we see to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. And so just to give some context before we jump into the passage that I read, um, James is writing to people who were apparently um, facing hardship, um, probably persecution, definitely uh, trials. And he spends the first half of this chapter, really verse 2 um, down to verse 18, um, talking about what a believer's perspective in trials should be. How should the believer uh, walk through a trial? And he says some really interesting things, some things that uh, you're not going to hear anywhere else. He says things like, count it 
like joy. Count it as joy when you fall into various trials. Let, let it be a happy thing in your life when you fall into various trials and temptations. And allow the Lord to, to work out endurance and patience in your life um, that you would remain steadfast under temptation. He talks about that in verse 12 and on down to verse 18. So he has this context of trials. What should a believer's perspective in trials be. And I think that we can all relate to that, right? Um, especially given the, the season that we're in and the, the year that we're in. I don't think that anybody on the face of this planet has really fully enjoyed 2020, right? Um, so we, we're, we're all aware of trials and um, hardships. And so that should be our perspective. In verses 19 through 27, his focus shifts a little bit, but let's not disconnect it from the context of trials. I don't think that James meant it to be disconnected um, from trials. And he talks about what our response to the Word of God should be. And so before he was talking about our perspective in trials, but now he's saying, and this is what your response to the Word of God should be. And this goes for any state uh, that you are in life. But man, don't disconnect this from trials. The key to both responding to trials and resisting temptation is found in how you respond to the Word of God. That's the key to trials. It's found, how, how do you respond to the word of God? So James starts out in verse 19 and he says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. He says, be a quick listener. My beloved brothers, know this. So then, be a quick listener. Let your words be measured. Be slow to speak. And be slow to get angry. And again, remember who he's talking to. These people are probably facing uh, persecution, definitely trials, definitely temptations. And what is the temptation for us when we face a hard circumstance? Well, I can tell you from personal experience, the temptation for me is to maybe say things that I regret, uh, to become easily angered. And so he encourages us in these three areas. He says, be swift to hear, be slow to speak, and be slow to wrath. How often do we get those things mixed up? Generally, we're slow to hear, swift to speak, and swift to wrath, right? This is not should be the opposite of that. You shouldn't be uh, swift to wrath. You shouldn't be slow to hear. You shouldn't be swift to speak. James says, be fast in your listening. Be a quick listener. Uh, listen to other people. Listen more than you talk. Um, I'm sure that all of us have experienced this, but how many of you have ever experienced that conversation with a person where it's not really a conversation? They're doing all of the talking and you can't get a word in, right? Um, how does that make you feel? You're like, oh, well, I guess you don't really care what I have to say. Okay, yep, okay, you just keep talking. Okay, all right, good, good talk. Well, we'll do it next time. Um, they don't listen. They don't care what you have to say. Um, it's, it's not enjoyable for anybody but maybe them. So James says, first and foremost, you should be a listener, be a listener. Listen to people. Allow them to talk. And then he says, be slow to speak. That is, when you speak, let your words be measured. Don't just say everything that comes into your mind. Lord forbid, right? Don't just say the first thing that pops in there. Consider what you say before you speak. How often have we said something and like, as it's coming out of our mouth, you're like, oh, can I please pull that back, <laughs> right? Like, oh, can I, can I have that one back? I, I, don't, I don't really want to say that. Or how, how often have we offended somebody by saying something that was just careless? 
We, it was just the first thing that came to mind, and so we said it, and now there's damage done, and we need to go ask for forgiveness. James says, be slow to speak. Think before you talk, and don't be a person that flies off the handle easily. Be slow to wrath, he says. Be slow to get angry, and if you're a person who's easily angered, this doesn't reflect the, your Savior. It says that the, the wrath of man, here in verse 19, uh, verse 20, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The Lord's not displayed in your life. If you're a person who just gets angry easily, you, you have a, a short fuse, a short temper, right? Um, that doesn't reflect the love of your Savior. Be slow to wrath, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Now, each of these things, um, I think, are definitely true in our action interactions with one another, right? Uh, with the body of Christ, with your spouse, with your kids. Um, you can go down the list of everybody that you know. This is true for these different interactions that we have with one another. But I think that you could just as easily apply this to your relationship with the Lord. Man, be quick to hear the Lord's voice. Be swift to hear. Take time to be in the Word and to listen for the voice of the Lord in your relationship with him, in your prayers, take time to listen for his voice because his voice above all else, that's the one that you want to hear, right? We want to, we want to be hearers of the word of God. We want to be hearers of his voice. Be swift to hear the voice of the Lord. Be slow to speak. Listen, it is okay and it is in fact good to take time to be silent before the Lord. You know, I, I do this, and I think that it's just a natural tendency that when we sit down to pray, we, we feel like we have to just fill the air, fill that time with, with our words and with our thoughts and with our intercessions. And certainly there's a time and place for that. I know that the Lord wants to hear us, and He wants to hear what's on our heart, but it is okay to sit silently before the Lord. It's okay to be still and know that He's God, right? It's okay to plan time into your prayers to sit in silence and allow him to speak to you. I can't tell you how many times there's been a big decision that I've needed to make, and I just come before the Lord and I say, Lord, you know what's going on. You see what's taking place here. I'm just going to sit and wait for you to tell me what to do. And listen, it's in those times that the Lord has spoken to me and the Lord leads me and the Lord directs me. Take time to listen for the voice of the Lord. Be slow to speak. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 and 2. This is actually in the New Living Translation. I love it because it's so blunt. It says this, As you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. It is evil to make mindless offerings to God. Keep your ears open and your mouth shut. We shouldn't be coming in and just prattling off everything. It's okay to just be silent before the Lord and allow Him to speak to you. And lastly, be slow to anger. Don't get angry with the Lord when things don't go your way. Don't be upset with the Lord when circumstances arise that you don't understand. Um, in verse 17 of this chapter, James tells us that the Lord... Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. We receive good things from the Lord. And you know, I know that a lot of us have faced really hard situations, situations where it's like, I don't think that I'm going to fully understand it on this side of heaven. Like, it's, it's just a, a product of the sinfulness of this world. Um, 
But that doesn't mean that that is the Lord's wrongdoing in your life, and we have no place to be angry with the Lord. Um, <laughs> he's the King of Kings, right? He's the Lord of Lords, and we don't have any grounds to be angry with Him. So be quick to hear, be slow to speak, and don't be angry. Be slow. Have a, have a long temper. Verse 21, Therefore, with these things in mind, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Notice, uh, he says here that you should lay something aside and take something else up, right? Uh, he says, lay aside filthiness and the overflow of wickedness. You could really fill this in with, with any sin, right? Maybe James had in mind um, the, the sin of, of wrath, right, and, and anger and, and those different things. Or maybe he had uh, the sin of, of, you know, sinning in the way that you speak. Uh, whatever it might be, I think that you could really just fill in the blank, fill in the sin. He says, uh, filthiness and overflow of wickedness. It's kind of just a broad general term, right? The exhortation is to lay aside anything that might be displeasing to the Lord. But he doesn't just say, hey, stop it and don't do that anymore and good luck, be sanctified, be holy, right? He says, lay this aside and replace it with something else. He says, receive with meekness the implanted word. Receive with meekness. Um, listen, you want to grow in your walk with the Lord? You want to be able to overcome temptation. You want to be more holy and live a sanctified life. You want to be able to lay aside filthiness and wickedness. Then receiving the implanted word with meekness is a must. You must do this. Uh, it, it's not an option. You know, this reminds me of what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. He says, you should put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul says, put off the old man, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new man who's righteous and holy. Listen, it's so vital that we take these steps in our lives that we're continually putting off sin and then allowing our minds to be renewed by by prayer and submitting our lives to the Holy Spirit and being in the Word, welcoming it into our lives and putting on uh, that new man. And one of the ways that we renew our, our sinful minds and our sinful hearts is to receive with meekness the implanted Word. This word receive here, it means to welcome it or to, to grasp it by the hand. You're, you're welcoming it into your life. You're welcoming it into your heart. And again, this has to do with being that quick hearer, right? You're quick to hear the word of the Lord and to do so with meekness, not with an attitude that says, well, I've already read this passage. I already know what the Bible says, but to do so humbly with meekness, allowing the word of God to correct you, to correct your faults, to correct your sinful way of thinking allowing my heart and my mind and my will and everything about me to be molded and shaped according to what the Word of God says. And if there's something in my life that, that confronts, when I read the Word, I'm confronted by it. Listen, the Word of God is not the one that needs to change. I'm the one that needs to change. That's what it means to 
welcome the Word of God with meekness, that we would welcome it into our lives, regardless of what, would it, what it would mean to us, and say, Lord, your Word has that authority in my life. That's the kind of authority that your Word has in my life, that I'm going to welcome it no matter what, no matter, no matter what it costs, even if it hurts, and to lay aside those things that may be displeasing to the Lord and to walk in those things that he has called us to walk and to receive with meekness the implanted word. This implanted word, it kind of reminds us of gardening, right? Like you, you put a, a seed in the soil and what do you expect to happen? Well, you water it and nurture it and then it sprouts and buds and then what? Then you get, you get fruit, well, that's what happens. The Lord plants his word in our heart as we welcome it in, and it, it produces fruit in our lives. This is what the Lord does. James is going to say in verses 22 through 25 that merely hearing the word of God, and I know that this is a familiar passage. We've all probably read it, but um, he says it's not enough to just hear. It's not enough to just allow it to come in, there has to be action that takes place. If you want to receive the word of God with meekness, then it must affect not only how you hear, but also what you do. Let's read this again. Verse 22, he says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. James says, be a doer of the word. Don't just, don't just hear it, do it. If the word tells you to do something, do it. If the word tells you something is sin, forsake it. Um, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Paul says this about the Word of God. He says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. He says, All Scripture is inspired by God. Literally, that word is breathed out. It's divinely inspired. The Lord has breathed out his word for us. You know, when I was in high school, I uh, had just barely started walking with the Lord, and I took a Bible as literature class uh, as a senior in high school. And um, praise the Lord, the guy who was teaching it was a believer, because normally those classes are like, well, you just need to read the Bible as any other book. Like, it's just a piece of history. It's a piece of literature. It's, it's profitable um, for our understanding of, of the way that the Israelites would think it's profitable to understand, you know, first century customs. But beyond that, it's just, it's just a piece of fiction. Um, this is primarily what people say, but the Bible proclaims that it is the divinely inspired, God-breathed Word. And if that's the case, we can't approach it just like a piece of literature, right? If this is true and this is what we believe, it's got to affect everything about us. This must be the most important thing about who we are because God has divinely inspired his word and he's given it to us and he said, read, this is how you can know me. This is how you can know what I agree with. This is how you can know how to have a right relationship with me. 
This is what the Lord has done for us. He's breathed it out. And so he says, be a doer of the word. Do it. Walk in it. Love it. Let it be the most important thing to you. He says here in verse 22 that if you are only a hearer of the word and not a doer, you're deceiving yourself. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. What's the implication? Well, the implication is this. If you're just hearing the word and you're not willing to do it, if you're just hearing the word and you're not willing to walk in the things that it tells you to walk in, you're not allowing it to correct you and train you, then you are deceived. You're deceived, the Bible says. Well, how so? How, how, can, that, how can that be? Well, here's the thing. I think that this could be an aspect of this. Many people approach church and the Bible like that their closeness to it automatically gives them credit before the Lord, right? Um, it, it automatically means like, oh yeah, I, I, go, I went to church this week. Or, oh yeah, when I was a kid, I went to Awana and I memorized like 50 Bible verses. It was great. Like that makes me okay before the Lord, right? Um, but if it doesn't actually impact your life, if it doesn't sink down into your soul, then, then what is it? It's unprofitable and you're deceiving yourself thinking that you're okay when you're not. How often does a person come into church simply to appease their conscience? Or how often does a person, you know, try to read the Bible as, as like penance before the Lord? They're not looking to receive from the Word of God. They're not looking to be in a right relationship with Him. They're not looking to seek His face and to know His will for their lives. They're coming to get credit for something. And this is not the right way to approach the Lord. You know, years ago, I was... Uh, I was working um, at a plumbing shop, actually, and this is when Megan and I lived um, in New Mexico. This is when we were first married, and I was talking to this receptionist lady. She was an old lady, so sweet. Um, I loved her. She was so feisty, but I was just having a conversation with her one day and, um, and just talking about like what, you know, what I do outside of work, and I was talking about you know, I'm really involved in church. Megan and I were helping out, I think, um, with the youth group at that time, and I was leading worship and all of these different things, and... Um, she looks at me and she says, oh, yeah, 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 I go to church. I go to church. But, you know, I really like my Sunday mornings, and so I go to church on Saturday night. But that still counts. That's what she tells me. Like, I just remember, like, that still counts. Like, almost like saying, you know, I can, I can still go to church on Saturday night, and it's, I still get credit for that, right? I immediately knew her heart, and I'll never forget that because I was just so saddened. Like, maybe I'm judging her heart, but... It seemed to me like the only reason why she was going to church was to get credit. And in an attempt to appease the Lord, or at the very least, maybe appease her conscience. Listen, we need to be interested in what does the Word of God say and how can I be walking in it? How can this transform my life? She wanted to go and hear the Word of God for an hour to get her credit, but that's so dangerous. Because Paul, Paul, James says, if that's you, then you're deceived. Don't deceive yourself. No, we're to be doers of the word. Because what is, what is hearing something without actually doing it? How many of you guys were one of these kids growing up where your parents would tell you to do something, you heard it, you fully understood it, and you're like, 
I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you know, any of you guys like that? Uh, surely some of us, or m- probably all of us, have experienced something like that. What was the conversation like afterward? Like, there's such displeasure, like, wait, so you heard me, you understood me, you, you knew what you needed to do, and you didn't do it like there are some ugly conversations, I'm sure. Well, how much, how much more must that be like in our relationship with the Lord? It's like, okay, you heard it, you were in church, you, you read it, you, you understood it, and yet you still chose to not do it? I don't think that's going to be a good conversation for anybody to have with the Lord. Verses 23 through 24, James continues on, and he gives an illustration of what it's like when we hear the word but don't do it. He says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. He says, This is what it's like. Kind of a a ridiculous illustration, right? A person observing his face in the mirror, forgetting what he looks like, um, and uh, going away, not not knowing what kind of man he was, right? This word observe, it it means to give careful consideration. And how many of us do that on a daily basis as we're looking in the mirror, we're observing, right? We're, we're scrutinizing like every little, every little pore and pimple and like we're trying to make ourselves look the best that we possibly can. And we of all people, when we look into a mirror, we see our faults more than anybody else, right? You know, I'm um, getting into my mid-30s, I'm 34, and it used to be that I could eat anything, right? My teens, early 20s, like I could just pack anything in, like four bowls of ice cream in a night, psh, I got this, like four bowls of ice cream every night, psh, I got this, you would never know, like I was at 130 pounds for like 15 years, um, and uh, I'm in my mid-30s now, and every time I look in the mirror, I see things that I've never seen before, like I, I'm seeing things that I'm like, oh man, maybe I should work out a little bit, like maybe I should lay off the ice cream, like when I walk away from the mirror, I'm reminded that, you know, I need to work out or I should maybe try to eat a little bit more healthy, but what if, what if I get up in the morning and I look at myself in the mirror and I walk away and I forget what I look like and I have in my mind that I'm like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know? Or like I'm some sort of like Captain America, some sort of fit bodybuilder where it's like nice physique. Like this is what I have in my mind. This is what I look like. And I'm telling you, this is what I look like. Guys, I look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. You guys would be like, Daniel's deceived, (laughs) right? Daniel doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, Daniel needs to get his head checked because, I mean, look in the mirror. He's not Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's no bodybuilder, right? And this is what James is saying. When a person looks into the word of God, they hear it, maybe they understand it. And listen, when when we look into the word of God, the word of God does what we do when we look into a mirror, when we scrutinize ourselves and we look at every pore and and we examine. The Bible says that it, it, it knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart, right? And so the word of God, we look into that mirror, we see our sinfulness, we see who we are. And if we're to walk away from that and not go and do it, man, you're just as deceived as I would be if I thought I looked like Captain America, right? 
Allow the word of God to speak into your life, but don't just hear it. Go and do it. Go and do it. Go and walk in it. Verse 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, in contrast to this, right, in contrast to the guy who walks away and and forgets what he looks like, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, that is the word of God, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. James says, he who looks into the word and continues in it and does it, will be blessed. Those three things, to, con- to look, to continue, and to do. This word look, it, li- it literally means to stoop down and examine. Like you're, you're going down and you're looking at something to get a better, closer uh, look at it. Not just a mere passing glance. You're scrutinizing it. You're putting it under the microscope. You're looking into the Word. You're studying it. You're, you're memorizing it. You're, you're applying it to your life. You're, you're really trying to gain deep understanding. It's not just like, oh yeah, I looked at the Word and that's it. No, you're, you're stooping. You're putting effort forth into it to continue, he says. Another translation uh, translates this uh, word as persevere, meaning uh, it's not just a one-time-a-week occurrence. That, that there's perseverance as you're looking into the Word of God. Because here's the thing. If we believe that the Bible is everything it claims to be, that it's uh, living and active, it's God-breathed, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, it's divinely inspired, it's God's very own Word breathed out for us to know and understand. If we really believe that, there shouldn't be anything that stops us from continuing in it. There shouldn't be anything that stops us from persevering to know it. There shouldn't be anything that stops us from gaining true understanding of of what it is that he has to say to us. And finally, he says, we're to do it. Be a doer of the word. Don't just hear it. Don't just let it go in one ear and out the other, but actually put it into practice. And the result of all this, the end of verse 25, James says, this one will be blessed in what he does. We'll be blessed. It's interesting, this is actually the same word that Jesus used in the Beatitudes when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Uh, Blessed are the meek. Um, What does it mean? This word means to be in a state of pure joy and happiness before the Lord. You'll be blessed. So, not dependent on circumstances, not dependent on, on trials, not dependent on whether or not you had a good day or a bad day or it's 2020 or 2021. It doesn't matter what it is. If, if this is you, you're, you're looking, you're continuing, and you're doing it. The Bible says that you are a person who is in a state of pure joy and pure happiness despite any outward circumstances. Psalm 1, really we could read the whole thing, but Just read verses 1 through 3. It says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who doesn't stand in the counsel of the ungodly or in the path of sinners or in the seat of the scornful. Listen, there are, there are a lot of 
<laughs> different avenues of things coming into our mind, right? Uh, the media, the world. Um, there's a lot of different things. There's a lot of different uh, avenues that we could be influenced by. But the one thing above all else, we should be influenced by the Word of God. He says that His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in His law, He meditates day and night. Do you find delight in reading the Bible? Is it a delight for you to, to enter in? Is it like when you miss a quiet time, is it like, oh man, I'm kind of bummed. Like, I really miss reading the Word of God. If it is, praise the Lord. Like, that's awesome. But maybe, maybe there's some of you where you're like, every time I read the Bible, I'm bored. I'm bored by it. I would encourage you. Man, I would encourage you. Go to the Lord and say, Lord, would you make this alive to me? I, I want to be a person that welcomes it into my life. I want to be a person, um, like it says here, that, that my delight would be in the law of the Lord, that I, I, would, I couldn't help but meditate upon it day and night, that I want to be like this tree planted by the rivers of water, but Lord, would you help me to fall in love with your word? And I think that that's a prayer that each of us could probably pray. I want to fall in love with the word of God more. I want my delight to be in the law of the Lord more. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. His delight is in the law of God. And so what are we to do? We are to look, give, give careful scrutiny, examine it, understand it, memorize it. We are to continue to persevere, to to not let anything stop us. I want to be a guy that is in the Word, that knows it, and to actually do it, to do the Word of God. In verses 26 through 27, James gives us a few examples, a few examples of what it looks like to be a doer of the Word. He says this, If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So what's the point here? Well, he's giving a couple examples. He's saying, uh, if you're a person who welcomes the word of God into your life, um, if you're allowing the word of God to take root in your heart, um, then it's going to result in a changed life. And here's a couple examples of what that might look like. He says that you would bridle your tongue, that you would be a person who takes care of those in need, the, the widows and the orphans, and that you would be a person that walks in purity, keeping oneself unspotted from the world. Let's talk about these things. He says, if you think you're religious and you don't bridle your tongue, you deceive your heart and your religion is useless. Um, what does it mean to bridle your tongue? Well, a bridle is that um, piece of equipment that's used to direct a horse, right? It's, the bridle is the thing that holds the bit, um, and you put the bit in the horse's mouth, and then the reins are connected to it, and you can kind of pull the horse and, um, and direct it, which, whichever way you want it to go, right? And that's the illustration that James gives to us when we think about how we talk, right? We've already talked about this, being uh, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, but James is saying here, you should have a person who has self-control over what you say. 
You should be able to direct what you say. You shouldn't be a person where you just uh, say anything that comes to your mind, right? Just as a horse can be controlled by a bridle, so as you are welcoming the Word of God into your life and you're walking in it and you're doing it, you should be able to control what you have to say. And why is this so important? Why is that so important? Uh, Well, because I believe that If the word of God is taking root in a person's life, this is an area of your life that will be deeply impacted. Um, Why is that? Well, because your heart will be deeply impacted. And Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so by the things that we say, it reveals our heart. If you're a person who's characterized by just saying mean things, or if you're a person that's characterized by, by being a gossip or, or uh, if your speech is just bad in general, then that may be evidence of a heart issue. It's definitely evidence of a heart issue. And so James says, bridle your tongue, but I believe that it goes so much deeper than just the things that come out of your mouth that reveals a true heart issue. And if your speech is bad, it might be evidence that the Word of God hasn't taken root in your heart. James says, if you don't bridle your tongue... Your outward show of religion, it's useless. It's useless. You're you're deceiving yourself again. And then he says, next, you know, if we're, essentially, if we're to be doers of the word, it's more than just talk, right? Um, We should put boots on and and take it into action, right? We should be doers of the word. And so what does that look like? Um, He mentions in verse 27 that we would be those that take care of others who are in need. Um, Verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. Now, I don't think that James is making an exhaustive list here uh, by any means. I think that he's saying this is something that you can do. This is something that, that blesses the Lord. Why? You read all through the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, you see that the Lord has a heart for those who can't help themselves, right? You see, the Lord loves those who can't help themselves, who who are in need of love, specifically orphans and widows. Deuteronomy 10.18 says that he administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. The Lord loves and deeply cares for those who can't care for themselves. And as those who follow the Lord, we ought to have that same sort of love for people who are in that situation. How can you you show love to a a widow? What can you do? How, how How can you reach out and visit an orphan in their trouble? In Matthew 25, in fact, why don't we all turn to Matthew 25? Jesus says this amazing thing. Matthew 25. Starting in verse 31. It says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. 
and he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from, before the, from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And he goes on and addresses that next group, and he says, You didn't do this. You didn't do this, and so you, you didn't do it to me. Isn't that an amazing thing? That Jesus attributes our actions of goodwill toward those who are in need, he attributes it as doing it to himself. That is an incredible thought. Let me turn back to James there, but he says, this is a really tangible way that you can be a doer of the word. Go take care of those who can't help themselves. And, you know, I hope that this isn't coming across as like, you know, salvation by works. That's, that's certainly not my heart. The intention of this is, as the Word of God takes root in our hearts, as the Word of God is implanted in our hearts, more and more of these things are going to be seen because our minds are going to be renewed. The Lord is going to make us more holy. The Lord is going to be giving us His desires, and we are going to be welcoming the Word of God into our lives and knowing what is right and holy and just and good before Him and want to walk in those things. And so James says, here's an example of how you can be a doer of the Word. Take care of those who can't take care of themselves. Love those whom the world has rejected. And the last thing that he says here is that you would be one that walks in purity. In purity, walk in purity to keep oneself unspotted from the world or to be unpolluted, unpolluted by the world. Um, you know, it's interesting. James doesn't say, so, you know, go to the monasteries, <laughs> right? And, and, you know, so just completely remove yourself. No, he doesn't say that at all. Uh, never in the New Testament are we encouraged to do that. We are encouraged to be in the world, but not of the world. Um, we are encouraged to walk in purity before the Lord and not allow the world uh, to have sway over our lives, that the world wouldn't put its mark upon us, right? That we wouldn't walk away marked by the world, but that we would be leaving our mark upon the world with the love of Jesus and the power of the word of God and the filling of the spirit, that they would see our good works, they would see the church doing the word of God and turn and glorify our Father in heaven. That's the heart. That's why we're here. We're here so that the world could see us and know that there is a God in heaven. See the way that we love. See the way that we take care of those who can't take care of themselves. See the way that we are walking in holiness and purity as the word of God is taking root in our life and turn and glorify our Father in heaven. That's why we're here. And listen, I fully understand that when we hear a message like this, the temptation is, you know, to go out and just try harder. Like, I'm going to go perfect myself in the flesh. And that's, I, I hope that that's not what you get out of this. I hope that what you get out of this is let's be those who our hearts are more wide open to the word of God. That that channel, that river is just flowing 
ceaselessly into our lives, that we are welcoming it in, that there would be that constant flow, and that as we're receiving the Word of God in humility, listen, the Lord is going to bring about that change in our hearts and in our lives, and if we truly are uh, receiving the Word of God in meekness, listen, a person will be doing it too. And so let's be those, and you know what? We have a great church, and so this is not meant to be a rebuke in any way, shape, or form. I know that we love the Word of God, right? Amen? We, we love the Word. We love to study the Word. Um, let's keep going deeper. Let's keep walking in it. Let's, let's know it more, and let's let our hearts be even more welcomed to the Lord implanting His Word in our hearts. So, Lord, we love you. And I thank you, Lord, so much that you've given to us your word. Lord, I I thank you that by your word we can know you and walk with you and understand your ways, Lord. And, Lord, it's in your word that we find life. I'm reminded of Peter who said, where else could we go? Lord, where else could we go to find the words of eternal life? Lord, there is nowhere else. And Father, I pray for us that we would be those that delight in the word, that we would meditate upon it day and night, that we would, um, that we would love it, and that we would walk before you in humility.